0: Okay. All right. So I'm a I'm a professional running coach um, by trade. Um, so I spend a lot of my time um, in the sporting world, and um, just so I have great passion for running, a great passion for um, investing in people and growing growing them. Um, and something I also love is funny signboards. Um, one that I that I saw recently, um, which is which is from a, from a zoo. It said, "Please be safe." Do not stand, sit, climb, or lean on fences. If you fall, animals could eat you, and that might make them sick. Thank you. <laughs> it's, very, it's very funny how they always put thank you at the end. But um, one of my my, my all-time favorites is one which is on a, a path that runs along the top of Kirstenbosch, which is frequented um, a lot by mountain bikers and runners, and, um, and also old people trying to hike and not get run over. And so they've put up this sign that says slow down. Strava is offline. And for those of you who are not Strava addicts, Strava is basically the world's biggest online um, activity tracking app um, where the most people are actually engaged um, on this app. Just to give you an idea of the popularity of Strava, here are some of the statistics from 2017. Last year... um, there were at least 16 uploads per second. That was their minimum frequency of uploads every single day of the year, whether it was raining, snowing, whatever the conditions, right around the world. This accumulated to a record number of 1 billion activities being recorded in 2017 alone. 136 million runs were uploaded, covering more than 1.1 billion kilometers. And I worked out that's 28,000 times around the circumference of the Earth. 627,000 marathons were recorded. Who of you have run one? Ah, there we go. Okay, you guys are awesome. Um, In fact, it's so important to upload your activity to Strava that there's a saying among Strava-nators, and this was actually quoted back to me by a new client I was was interviewing this week, if it is not on Strava, it did not happen. So, if you're on your way to work tomorrow morning and you see a bunch of people standing on a street corner wearing way too little clothing for the outside temperature and they're standing like this, Or like this. Don't worry. You don't need to call the men in white pajamas. They're just trying to get signal. Apparently this helps you get signal. You hold it against your head. All right. So with hundreds of different activity tracking um, applications available, what is it that draws so many athletes from all levels on the athletic spectrum to Strava? The famous psychologist Abraham Maslow suggested that the need to belong was a major source of human motivation and actually listed as number three on the um, pyramid of the five basic um, needs in the hierarchy of human needs. And it's exactly this basic need of the human spirit that Strava have capitalized on. According to Strava CEO James Coles, Strava's secret source is the sense of shared experience which is created community is our core says Coles. people say they don't download strava they join strava and it's and they're doing this at listeners listen to the statistic people are joining strava currently at 1 million every 40 days Belongingness is a term used to describe the basic human need to be an accepted member of a group, whether it is family, friends, co-workers, a religion or something else. People tend to have an inherent desire to belong. You want to be part of a tribe and to be an important part of something greater than themselves. This implies a relationship that is greater than simple acquaintance or familiarity. The need to belong is the need to give and receive attention from others, according to the psychologists. Psychologists Baumaster and Leary are um, quoted as saying, much of what human beings do is done in the service of belongingness. They actually argue that many of the human needs that have been documented, such as the needs for power, intimacy, approval, achievement, and affiliation, are all driven by the need Belong. And that's exactly the need which Strava has recognized in people, and they've created a platform to meet this need. Not only does their platform record data, but they've managed to create a type of social interaction and engagement in which everyone tends to feel like a superstar, Um, where everyone can tell their story, where everyone is paying attention to everyone's story, and where somehow. Every person feels that their kilometers that they are covering and their meters of vertical gain that they are scaling is contributing to some greater global cause. What greater global cause, we do not yet know, but it's very important that you, up, you upload every kilometer to Strava. In fact, if you look at people's titles of the uploads, they go to great lengths to let you know um, if, if they didn't manage to upload everything. So if So you'll see things like, My watch died, so I actually did so many kilometers. Just that you know, they didn't um, um, skimp on their responsibilities to this global cause. By only doing five kilometers, they actually did 15, and they've made their contribution. All right, they go to great lengths to let you know who they were with, um, whether they had been ill, so that you you don't think you can understand why their um, pace might have been a bit slow that day. Um, whether they're on holiday, where they are in the world. But it's important for them to tell their story and somehow they feel that someone's listening and that someone is interested in their story and that's what gets them to keep coming back. It is really probably one of the most diverse groups um, that you'll find, Um, rich people, poor people. In fact, it's, it's probably one of the platforms where people that are in the top of the game of elite sport and those that have just left the couch are able to interact and engage with one another. Just um, actually seven of the top ten overall finishers at the world's greatest mountain race, Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, uploaded to Strava, and um, that included the entire overall podium, along with Joe Soap down the road is running his first five kilometer. Um, I must say, just to give you a bit of the level of interaction... 2.3 2.3 billion kudos—that's thumbs up—we're given. Um, there's a 70% chance that if you give someone else kudos, someone else will give you kudos back. Okay, and there were 110 million comments posted um, on Strava, 22% of which said thank you because athletes are nice people. All right. And I must say, there's there's really something in this. Um, one day, I was sitting at our local running club, and I was I was just kind of looking around um, at the people, and there was this moment, and I was I was like checking out the regulars, and I was like, there's really a lot of odd people here. And yes, I know it takes one to know one, um, but I, I I had this this moment where I realised that Yari's a place where the, the odd people can actually find a home and find a sense of belonging, and this is actually what keeps them coming back, day in and day out, every evening. This is this is a place where they can feel accepted, and where they they are part and they have a contribution to make. Whether they, um, a CEO or someone's gardener, um, their contribution counts. Um, I must say, running itself is is a great is a great leveller. Um, no matter how wealthy you are, what your family background is, your skin colour, your culture, okay, there's a point in a race where everyone smells really bad, looks really bad, and has some sort of funny limp. All the while, the spectators are shouting their propaganda, looking good, but it's lies, all lies, okay. And Strava caught on to this um, actually with their their clever campaign which they had um, last year, um, hashtag athletes unfiltered, where people were encouraged to post real photos. Ones where they look really bad, really sweaty, really stinky, hair just dangling down. Ones where they um, weren't able to complete the run because of emergency toilet stops, etc, etc. Interestingly enough, they got 26,000 um, selfies of Really bad on the activity pictures. So, there really is this, this, this need within people for belonging, and it's, it's not surprising that the best um, of the most successful coaches in America caught on to this. Um, Coach Joe Ehrman, one of the most influential football coaches in America, um, said about what he calls creating a team without walls, a community in which there are no obstacles to becoming a team member and no separate rooms within the team. His vision was that each team would first and foremost be an accepting community. And as a result, they also played really good football. Um, According to Ehrman, to be part of a nurturing, caring community is a tremendous gift in our individualistic society. Um, One of my favorites, who I've I've spent a lot of time studying, Coach Joe Newton, um, arguably one of the most well-known coaches in America, coached York High School to 28 straight um, state titles. Um, he, would, he would work with um, groups of up to 200 high school boys at a time, um, from average to not good to elite level, and he managed to bring the best out of every boy. And what's interesting is, is he actually had nicknames for each of his boys. That's how well he knew um, everyone individually. And what's incredible is when you study Coach Joe's um, um, method, you never read anything about physiology or sports science or groundbreaking scientific methods um, which he used. In fact, you, you see none of that. But what you do realize is that um, Coach Joe had an incredible ability to understand the human spirit and to coach the human spirit. And that is why he was able to bring the best out of these boys and create not just a team. In fact, it says that Coach Joe built a dynasty at York High School. And if you if you listen to interviews with his previous athletes, they, all of them will talk about Coach Joe's the family which which Coach Joe built, and that was his secret to success. Um, he says that a strong and caring coach athlete relationship has been his key to success. And in an interview. I love this quote, he says, you know, reflecting on more than six decades of coaching, kids are basically the same as they were in the old days, they're terrific, and if they know you care about them, they'll do anything for you, that's the important thing in coaching, it isn't the system you've got, it's your relationship with your athletes, and um, he's been a great inspiration to me, when I first started coaching, I thought it's all about knowing the science really well, knowing um, heart rates and lactate levels, and and VO2 maxes, and all these things. And I had a very sort of raw, raw type of motivation, almost like Rocky style, um, no pain, no gain. Um, but um, as I began to study these coaches, I realized that their, their secret was understanding how do you develop a human, and how do, you, how do you coach the human spirit? And when I started investing in that, in treating each person as an individual, um, seeing how can I bring best out of each person... Um, how do I coach their human spirit and how do I create a sense of belonging and a sense of community within my team where we come to that point where we are a family, um, that is how I'm going to get, build the strongest team and that's what I said about doing, I stopped worrying about the science and I just focused on the human and on building the sense of community and belonging and um, it was incredible the, the, the change um, that began to to take place and um, it's interesting, um, Sebastian Coe is one of Britain's greatest milers. He's actually quoted as saying, it is often said great coaches know an awful lot about the events that they coach. I actually think great coaches know more about the people that they coach than the events. And um, as I'm um, sat um, reflecting on, on, on our past season, we've recently um, had, a, had a summer and our most successful summer ever. Um, this past October to, to April. And I, I was, um, it was also a summer where, at the end of the summer, it was our most successful summer, but at the end of the summer, we also had two tragedies um, that the team went through together. And I sat and I reflected on this and, I, and, and, the, and the way the team came together during those times of tragedy. And I looked back and I realized the secret to our successful summer. We had finally become a family. Thank you. All
1: right. Thanks, Kathleen. My name's Duncan. For those of you who don't know, um, I'm going to do the second session of uh, our TED talks. Uh, excuse my voice. I'm a little bit sick at the moment, so um, so I'm going to be talking about leadership according to Jesus. All right. So um, I don't know if, if if you look in the world today, um, I don't know if you agree with me, but I see um, a crisis in leadership. At the moment, generally, okay. If we look around the world around us, um, the view of leaderships and leaders today is one of um, a distrust, okay, of leadership. This is now generally. Um, Sometimes there's a hatred of leadership. Um, The view, another view of of leadership is, is there's always seen as some hidden agenda. Behind what leaders are doing generally okay I don't know if you agree with me but that's what I see in the world today um, and <clears throat> they obviously also th- an- another thing is that they're seen as self-serving generally okay um, and to me this this topic is I'm quite passionate about this topic um, not that I'm the greatest leader ever whatever it is but um, when I look at the, I see this around me every day I see this view towards leadership. I see the the reactions towards leaders. Okay, a lot of the time when when a decision is made by a leader or or an action is done by a leader, the general comments and the general thing is, oh, what what is he really doing here? What is his agenda behind or her agenda behind it? Um, and it and it got me thinking about you know what what is good leadership? What what defines good leadership? And so, you know, obviously our, our greatest example as a leader is obviously Jesus. And what I, what I started doing is going, looking in Jesus' life and seeing some of the characteristics and some of the principles that he applied in leadership that made him so successful. All right. If you look at Jesus' life, in terms of his leadership, he had incredible success in a very short amount of time. And yes, he was the son or is the son of God. Um, and the Lord was obviously with him, and that type of thing, but the principles that he applied um, gained him incredible success and an incredible following amongst people that is still going on today All right? and I, I took a look at his life and tried to take out certain of these principles that that he applied um, it 's not maybe not the whole list, but these are some of the things that i that I saw now, firstly, when I look at jesus 's time, I see in terms of leadership. I see um, a view towards leaders was very similar in Jesus' time to where we are now. <clears throat> People did not like leaders all right they distrusted they even hated leadership all right in in Jesus' time obviously the Romans were ruling over the Jews, and there was a massive hatred for for the Romans now when we when we talk about this view often it's it's actually warranted all right it's not that the the leaders leaders around us have shown us or have acted in a way that has caused this view of it, okay. But Jesus came in and he brought a th- these principles and he he had this view of leadership and these actions that completely were countercultural, and um, and gained him this massive following. All right, so I want to look at at four principles that that he applied in his um, leadership that. That gained him incredible success, as I said, there could be more, but these were the four that that really stood out for me. Number one was his genuine care for people, for the individual. Kathleen touched on that um, when I look at Jesus, I see someone who who was very interested and really compassionate and caring about the individual in front of him at all times okay one of one of the quotes he said there and, and Firstly, the genuine care in people says to to those that, that are following, I'm important, okay? And it develops trust, obviously. right? If you know that your leader has compassion for you, um, then that develops a trust in what that leader is doing and where he is going, he or she is going. All right? Matthew 23, verse 11 says, um, The greatest among you will be your servant. Okay? That was his quote. Now, obviously... Actions apply here as well. But this is... If you look at what a servant does. A servant does the cert- sort of things that are not nice to do. Alright? They do certain things in the background that no one else sees. Okay? And that's what um, Jesus was saying. If you want to be a great leader, alright, start by serving those who are under you. Alright? Now that's a... We've heard this a lot and that's a, that's a great thing. If you look at certain actions of his... Um, now, when Derek and Beryl were here, they, they touched on this, and this really stood out to me. In uh, Mark 1, verse 40 to 41, um, this is when, when Jesus heals a man with, with leprosy. Now, I always look to this and go, oh, you know, that's, that's cool. He healed the man with leprosy. But it says there, a man with leprosy came to him and begged on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said. Be clean. Now, if you if you um, if you think back on on how lepers were treated in those days, number one, no one ever touched a leper ever. Okay. Um, if you were a leper, you had apparently a bell or something like that, where you had to warn people as you were walking around that you know beware, there's someone here coming with uh, with leprosy. Stay away. All right. Now what Jesus did is he showed such a care and compassion for those type of people and for this for this man that he went not a, so he could have healed this man by just speaking to him, okay, but what he did is he met such a deep need for this man with leprosy, I would assume okay because i since this man had leprosy i don't think anyone had ever touched him, and what he did is he went and he touched the man and then healed him, okay, meeting a need, showing that person. I am important, all right. I'm not here just to heal you. I'm really here to. I love you. Okay. Um, now I'm a teacher, and um, the headmaster the other day was was telling us of a of a story of a Mitchell's Plain um, headmaster principal that he was talking to. And he said this man, this headmaster, he's a primary school headmaster. Um, he he's in a in a school where in the, the kind of gang-ridden area of some gang-ridden area of Mitch's Pain. I don't know exactly where. But he says this this headmaster, if there's something that goes missing in the community, they go and tell this headmaster, and this headmaster will go into the gang areas or into the house where the gangs are housed or whatever. He'll walk in there, take out whatever they've stolen, and go and give it back to the people. And he, he never gets harmed, Ever and um our headmaster was asking this this headmaster what is your secret how do you do that and and he said to him um, never underestimate the power of a high five he said um and so it's it's more than the high five so so what he does what he applies in his school and he's i mean he he's works under circumstances that we don't even realize, um, is he makes a point of high-fiving all of his pupils in his school. And, you know, it's it's more than just the high-five. The high-five is not the actual thing. What the high-five says to people and to those boys and girls is, you are important. You are valuable. All right? And and therefore, people trust him and people love him. And even if they, be, they end up in the gangs, they still respect him Enough to allow him to walk into their house, take whatever they've stolen, and give it back to the people and that that to me says a lot about our um, view and our actions towards those towards people under us if if we are leaders okay number two, Jesus showed a vulnerability that was also countercultural all right now what does that develop that develops in people someone that they can identify with, all right? It's not this person on a pedestal that's always better than us and never struggles with the problems that we struggle with. Suddenly, um, you become identifiable to people around you. <clears throat> um, in Mark 14, 33 to 34, this is an example. Um, this is just before he was crucified. Um and he was in, in the garden praying. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. So here's someone. Here's Jesus. Who is showing a vulnerability amongst the people that, that were following him. Okay. Another one is um, Luke 19.41. Um here again, he shows vulnerabilities, walking towards Jerusalem. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Right? There he's showing an emotion and vulnerability um, that allows people to connect and identify with, with him. Right? Often, um, leaders are seen or maybe are encouraged or, I don't know, they, they don't, they're not encouraged to show their emotions. They're always encouraged. We, you need to look and be the part you must never show weakness okay that's always the, the thing don't show weakness if you're a leader okay Jesus flipped that around all right he showed weakness he showed um, his emotions okay and and people identified with him because they knew uh, he's on our level here okay that's number two number three this is a very big one as well. Um, jesus showed a very clear purpose and had a very clear purpose okay um, and what does this develop in people this develops a safety to follow okay if you know if if someone a leader who is above you has a very clear purpose he or she is able to express that purpose then then you know what you're following here okay there's not not any hidden agendas or I don't know where we're going with this person. It's very clear. Now, this can work in a good way or a bad way. In a bad way, if you look at someone like Adolf Hitler, he was an extremely, he had a very, very clear purpose. Um, And people followed him. If you look at World War II, a lot of people followed him. And a lot of people were willing to give their lives for his purpose because he was so clear about what he wanted to do. Um, I was watching the other day the the movie The Darkest Hour. I don't know if you've seen that with um, Winston Churchill, about Winston Churchill. Now, not all of it is is factually correct, but if you look at Churchill's life, he also had a very clear purpose. He said, I was reading up about him as well, and he he really believed that God had put him on this earth for that very time that he he became prime minister in, in, in Britain. Um, and he, he faced incredible opposition, not only from the Nazis, okay, but also within his own party and within his own supporters. Um, but the whole time that I was looking through or watching that movie, I was thinking to myself, the Lord really sent that person. And he was, he was sent for the perfect time. He was the perfect leader at the perfect time. Um, and he saved, you could say, the whole world. Um, uh, he was well. He was part of the, the reason why the Allies were were so successful. And there was a time when it was touch and go whether you know the whole of Britain and the whole of the the, uh, the Allied nation would have been wiped out. Um, and he had to make very strong decisions. And when someone and when a leader has a very clear purpose, um, they are able to to go through massive opposition and massive and really tough times because they are very clear on that purpose. Um, Leona touched on that, the the why. Why are we here? What is our purpose? Okay, Simon Sinek. Am I saying that right? Um, go, and, go and Google him a little bit if you don't know about him. He talks about the, the golden circle, the why of why we are here. And these leaders, Churchill, Mandela, Martin Luther King, um, they were very clear on their why, very clear on their purpose. Um, Jesus in John 18, verse 37 to 38 um, says, this is when he's before Pilate. He says, um, Pilate says, You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. In fact, the, re- the reason why I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. And then Pilate says, What is truth? So Jesus was very clear in his purpose, okay? And he was able to to face massive opposition and face ultimately death. Because he knew what his purpose was, okay. Um, that's number three. Number four is Jesus was not politically correct. <clears throat> okay, he was very, very countercultural. All right, and because he was so clear in his purpose, he was able to be very countercultural. All right, he spoke the truth in love, and that was very important. All right, he did, he wasn't swayed by the uh the tendencies of the time that it was around him okay he spoke directly he spoke the truth all right and depending on on the audience often it sounded harsh but ultimately was still in love okay um and again if if i look at the the movie of of churchill i see this as well all right there were a lot of views on for instance how to deal with the nazis at that time but churchill was was so clear on his purpose and so clear on what he needed to do um, that he didn't um, he didn't worry about those whatever the views were. Okay. Um, obviously, this politically correctness was um, was what eventually killed Jesus. All right, but Jesus knew that. All right, it wasn't like that um, that came out of um, out of the left side. Okay, so those are the four four things that I've seen so far. I just want to end with with one thing, and and the reason why I'm talking about this is I believe that in our time there is there's this vacuum of quality leadership, and us as Christians have a model from Jesus that is so clear and so um, that works so well that I believe that us as Christians have this opportunity to show good leadership and occupy. Positions of leadership, not for our own gain or our own, you know, glory or whatever. It's ultimately to bring the kingdom um, here on earth. All right. And, and um, I just want to leave you with, uh, with this last quote from John Quincy Adams. It says, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more and become more, you are a leader.
2: Thanks, thank you. Just before we pray, I just want to encourage you to open your hearts to the Father because if you read the word from Genesis chapter 1, you see God creating the Garden of Eden. And in this garden, God decided to put Adam and Eve. And that was the environment, that was the, the environment where God established these two people that lived at first. In this world. And uh, if you think of even the whole creation. For example, the stars. Before God created the stars, God made first the firmament. Before God made the fish, He made first the waters. Before He made the trees, He first created uh, uh, the earth or the soil. And if you remove the fish out of the water, the fish dies. If If you would just disconnect the tree from the soil, the tree will die you will always see that there was a tendency of creating first the environment before God would create any other thing. And you will see that that environment will ensure the growth and the safety. And actually, uh, the, the entire growth of, for example, the tree will depend on the soil. And exactly the same with Adam. God created first the Garden of Eden before he made him. He created first the environment in which the people that he had in mind had to live to exercise the very things that he invested in them to dominate to cultivate and i believe even for us as believers the primary community that we need as kathleen was speaking is actually the presence of god david says that this is the one thing that i ask of the lord that i may dwell in his house to look upon his beauty and in his temple. You know sometimes somebody can be sitting in a crowd and still be lonely. You will see many times Jesus, the story of Baptimaeus, this man was crying, he was screaming because he couldn't see. And yet, he was part of a crowd. Even within a crowd in this world, if there is no Jesus, if there is no this great leader that cares, we will still feel lonely. So I would love us to to open our hearts because the very first environment that we are called to long for is the presence of God. When John had this privilege of seeing the Messiah, remember John was a disciple of Christ. And he was spending almost like his last days, you know, in the Isle of Patmos. He was, he was in a different... People do a lot of commentaries about, about the, the circumstance in which he was finding himself saying... Some other apostles were already dead. He was, he was almost like spending the toughest time. He saw the miracles. He saw the bread multiplied. He saw the resurrection of Lazarus. He saw many things. Now he's in this situation where all of the people that he, that he ministered with were dead. He was spending the last moments of his life. And in that very moment, he receives this vision. Where he now sees his master sitting on the throne, and when he looked at his presence, he saw thousands and thousands of angels worshipping. And I believe in that moment, you will see in one of the visions, the angel said to him, do not wept, do not wept, behold the Lamb of God. And I believe God is calling us into that place where we can join this very community, primarily of his presence. Because when we see, What is the beauty of his presence? We can live full of hope. We can know that even though things around may not be as good, but we have a living hope. And our hope is found in him. We can change the way we think. I believe John, after that vision, didn't have the same way of thinking. Because now he he realized what he actually was carrying inside. And he realized that Jesus... That he didn't just witness with his natural eyes. But he realized actually the the journey to to that which he said yes when he he decided to follow Jesus. So I would like to encourage you where you are. Maybe perhaps you've been struggling maybe to connect with the Lord. Maybe you've been struggling to just really living and experiencing the beauty of the presence of God. Or perhaps it's something that you... You want to you you get to know, to know what it means to walk fully in the, in, the, in the joy that is found in his presence. Moses, as he was about to travel with the people of Israel, he said to God, Do not let us go without your presence. And I believe the primary thing that we need that makes the difference between the church and the world is the presence of God. It is the presence of God. The Israelites were a people that were different from any other nations because they hosted the presence of God. And I do believe to experience the presence of God there is a place where there has to be a longing. There has to be a desire to connect with Him. And how do we experience the presence of God? Through the presence of His Holy Spirit. Because He is the one who is here. To teach us, to guide us, to reveal the Father. Because we can have thousands of friends. But if Jesus is not our friend, we will still feel lonely. We will still feel not part of a community. But when we know Jesus, then we will live efficiently in our community. Jesus had a relationship with the Father. Therefore, in his community, when he made the lepers, he could heal them. He could minister to them. But before we join any community, we have to engage with this heavenly community. Jesus said when you pray, say Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I would love to ask you to stand please. We're going to open our hearts to the Father. I would love us to to pray like David prayed. When he said, this is the one thing That I ask of the Lord. That I may dwell in his house. To look upon his beauty. And his His temple. One of the things that I love about David. Is that David didn't just know how much important the presence of God was. But David loved the presence of God. He loved the presence of God. Saul knew the importance of the presence of God. But unfortunately, he didn't really love the Prince of God. That is is why when he was a king, he didn't make it a priority. But when David was a king, he did set a tabernacle where people worshipped 24-7. All of us, we know where we are at with God. We know how much committed we are to Him. How much committed we are to His Word. how How much committed we are to fellowship. With him. And I want to ask as, as we close our eyes, if you are here, and perhaps there is already a community among whom we, you live and you connect, but perhaps this heavenly community, which is the presence of God, there's been perhaps a disconnect, or perhaps a, they just a struggle to, to really go deeper. And to experience the presence of God. I remember one day. I was coming from Stellenbosch. And I felt the Lord wanted me to to sing. I was coming from a recording in Stellenbosch. And as I sang. And I had to get off in Belleville. Before I came out. There was a lady that came to me. She said. I haven't experienced this in a very long time. I haven't experienced this atmosphere in a very long time. So I would love to ask where you are if perhaps that which you experienced when you got saved, with that which you used to experience when you first received the Holy Spirit, you're not perhaps experiencing it currently. And this morning, you want to open your hearts to the Father so that He can revive your heart again, so that He can revive your passion again. Then I would like you to just stretch both of your hands to the Father. From a place of longing. A longing to connect with him. A place of of really saying, Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But I would like you where you are to be bold. And to stretch your hand to the Father. And say to him, Father, here I am. Here I am. Revive my heart again. In the book of Revelation it says, Come back to your first love come back to your first, first love sometimes we become professional Christians and we, we, get in, we we're stuck in a place of presumption but I believe God is calling us to be like children to long again for his presence and the second thing that I want to ask all of us is to truly really pray and ask the Father, father take me back Take me back to that place where I was excited to share testimony. Take me back to that place where I was excited to pray. Take me back to that place where I was excited to fast and pray. Take me back to that place where I was excited to lead, to comfort, to encourage. Let be vulnerable before the Father. And trust that He will do the very work that He has done. And even increase that. So that we will grow from glory to glory. While the band is singing, we will bring our hearts to the Father.